0: Recovery Elevator, Episode Four Hundred and Six.
1: Recovery Elevator. Uh, I'm going to keep going. We had Chris that came all the way over from Beulah who does this nationally uh, and did these uh, you know interviews for us. Uh, let's give it up for Chris one more time. Thank you. He's in the, is he in the back there. Is that you, Chris? Back there. There he is, way in the back. It was either Chris or Paul Bunyan. I couldn't tell exactly.
0: Uh, like this. Yeah, that should work. Mix down. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, keep going.
0: Yo, yo, mix down.
1: Three, four.
0: Yo, yo, wiki wiki, mix down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki wiki, mix down.
2: Guys in the house. (laughs) I love it.
0: Wiki wiki, mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm pumped that you're here with us. Today, we've got Nate, Eric, Beth, Hunter, and Kathy on the show. Yes, that's five people, and I promise I'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, this coming Thursday, December 1st, registration opens for our intensive dry January course, Restore 2023. This 14-session course is tailored towards the newcomer and will cover a variety of things like mindfulness, meditation, and community, as well as pointers for working through cravings and triggers. The classes will be a mix of lecture and small group discussions, and classes start on Sunday, January 1st at 3 p.m. Eastern. If you've been questioning your relationship with alcohol and want to give the new year a fresh shot, this is a great way to try something different. To learn more, check out www.recoveryelevator.com restore. Thank you, Liz, for dropping the link in the show notes. A quick shout-out to our chat host over in Cafe RE, Last week, we held a meeting marathon on Thanksgiving, and there's no way we could have pulled it off without our volunteers. You guys are crushing it. Thanks for your support. And speaking of Cafe RE, let's hear a bit more about that from Odette.
3: When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it, and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey, especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe Re, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner if you request to be matched, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code opportunity to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code opportunity to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to meet you there.
0: All right, Recovery Elevator, let's get into it. Last week, Paul talked about stigma. I appreciated the perspective that our recovery work is an asset to us, and in some cases can even make us advanced students. A couple weeks ago, my wife met someone who had heard about me from people who only knew me in recovery. Their description was that Chris is a peaceful guy. My wife and I both laughed as she told me this, not because I'm not peaceful now, but because there were a lot of years where I was exactly the opposite. This is an example, I think, of what Paul was talking about. My recovery has worked in my favor. Now let's talk about the other kind of stigma. The one that doesn't quite leave us with that same warm fuzzy feeling that the last experience did. The negative stigma about addiction is a real thing. There are even studies out there about it. Science aside, I personally stigmatized alcoholics and addicts before I got sober. Not some of my finest moments. I didn't know anyone who's open about recovery. So I was left to believe the stereotypes that I had seen in pop culture. For what it's worth, a lot of those stereotypes were from the fear-based campaigns designed to keep me away from drugs and alcohol. Mix those campaigns with the billions, yes that's billions of dollars spent in alcohol advertising aimed at showing us how much fun we should be having with our friends while enjoying their particular poison, and it becomes a little more clear how we might be conflicted. The world is telling us to partake and enjoy, but don't be one of those people and take it too far. Now, to be fair to big alcohol and the just say no campaigns, I can't put my situation on them. I've got a nice mix of poor coping mechanisms, a little bit of trauma, and probably some genetic components that are all part of my story, but these are some contributing factors that have sweeping impacts on society. They've contributed to the idea that if you can't handle these things responsibly, you are the outlier. I was there. I believed that I was the outlier. At the height of my addiction, I was isolated, and I thought the worst about myself, and I bought into the idea that I was nothing but a dirtbag. I had overcome a lot of adversity in my life, and in many ways I was very successful. but I couldn't handle this one thing, not for a lack of effort. I tried all sorts of things to get my drinking under control. I tried tapering down, I tried only drinking on weekends, I tried limiting my usage, and I even tried switching up what I was drinking. None of it worked. Until I met with my first counselor, I had basically resolved that this was just how I was going to go out. In some way, shape, or form, this will be the end of me. But that counseling appointment changed things for me. My counselor shared with me how she was in recovery too. She had been through it, but found another way. She promised that she was going to help me and that it wasn't too late. Not long after that appointment, I found the RE podcast as I was driving back and forth to treatment. I heard people just like me, Parents, siblings, people with jobs, all who faced a version of my struggle, but they were working on taking their lives back. They too had found another way. This was a big shift. When I found relation to these other people through our shared experience, the way I thought about myself and my addiction was changing. On November 3rd of this year, North Dakota's First Lady held her sixth annual Recovery Reinvented Conference. Catherine has been sober for over 20 years and you can hear her story on episode 346. Recovery Reinvented is a movement to end the shame and stigma surrounding the disease of addiction in North Dakota. This year, one of the speakers was Dr. Bruce Perry. Dr. Perry has done some tremendous work as a teacher, clinician, and researcher. His latest book, What Happened to You, was co-authored with Oprah Winfrey. So, you know, it's Oprah. At the end of the conference, Dr. Perry talked about the importance of storytelling. He said it's not the data and the research and all the information compiled onto nice white paper that is going to change people's minds. It's the stories. The data is good, but when it's personalized, that's when it starts to have major impact. Dr. Perry said that this is the way that we're going to continue to crush stigma is through our stories. So what does this mean exactly? To some folks, the idea of sharing their addiction and recovery story might be terrifying. I understand that. Long before I took the seat behind this microphone, I shared my experience for the first time too. I appreciate that feeling. I wanna talk about two ways that you can share your story. No matter your comfort level or how open you want to be, we can all still contribute. First, let's talk about the big obvious ones. We can jump on a podcast. We can volunteer to share at a support group meeting or give a testimony at church or in our community. We can be loud and proud and sharing with the world what we've been through. Maybe you can drop something on your Facebook or your Instagram and let people know about your decision to live a life without alcohol. I've done each of these, and at this stage in my life, it takes about two seconds on Google to realize that I'm in recovery. That certainly wasn't my plan when I walked into treatment and poured my first cup of terrible coffee, but that's how it's worked out. And I'm grateful for that. I've been able to help a lot of people, and a lot of people have helped me. But there is another way. Not everyone wants to be quite so open or loud, and that's okay. It's not better or worse, we're all different. There's a softer and more subtle way that a whole different group needs to hear from. There are those people who quietly pass on an alcoholic drink at a happy hour, or have the capacity to listen and understand because of their lived experience. We can empathize without going into every detail of our story. Have you ever been with someone and you just know that they get it, even if you didn't know why? Holding space for people going through a hard time is just as important as screaming from the rooftops. However we do it, our stories matter, and we're moving the needle. That brings us to this week's interviews. We've got five of them. I mentioned Recovery Reinvented earlier, and this year I had the opportunity to do short form interviews on stage at the event. These five brave recovery warriors got up in front of a conference room that was packed and did a great job. I can't wait for you to listen to their stories. But first, let's hear from our great sponsor, BetterHelp.
3: When we begin this journey of healing and sobriety, questions come up constantly, and not knowing is a very hard place to be. For me, being in the unknown is a real challenge. I want to know the answers. I want to know what will happen. I want to know. Wouldn't it be nice to have a manual? I know it would. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills. They basically assist in creating your own personalized manual, your tool belt. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient and accessible anywhere. 100% online, plus it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash elevator. That's betterhelp h e l p dot slash elevator.
0: Thank you, Governor, and thank you, First Lady. Uh, Recovery Recovery Elevator is excited to be here, and we appreciate the opportunity to uh, participate and share these amazing stories. Uh, So let's get into it. Nate, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Where you live, what you do for a living, family, pets, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun, Nate?
4: My name is Nate Espinoza. I am a Grand Forks resident, I love Grand Forks. I am a UND, Master's major in the social work program, where my social work is at. I am a case manager at our local shelter, Northland's Rescue Mission, and I am a, yes, North, and I am a care coordinator uh, through uh, Hope Church here in town. And what do you like to do for fun, Nate? Oh man, I love, uh, I love to stay busy, longboard, you guys might almost run over me all over town, rollerblade, uh, but build community, man. I love, to, I love to peer support, I really do.
0: That's awesome, Nate. Nate and I did a little pre-interview, before the interview, and in that, we talked about how uh, Nate's a North Dakota transplant from Texas, and we're glad that you're home now, Nate. You're an asset to this community. You had some troubles in Texas, and you came up to North Dakota for a fresh start. You wanted to come to school. Uh, What did that look like for you? Let's talk about that transplant and what that looked like.
4: It was amazing because I came in the fall uh, for a semester and uh, yeah, it was an amazing reset. Uh, North Dakota nice. I know our Olympic medalist uh, noticed that when she came here but it is true, it is real. Uh, I came with a little different vernacular from a different culture but I felt embraced uh, immediately and uh, one of my first things uh, coming here was to be on campus and I, I expected to have to make my way in and fit in and that wasn't the case. Uh, I was able to be embraced just as I came.
0: That's awesome. That's, that's good. North Dakota nice is a thing. Amen.
4: What about, uh, let's talk about the,
0: the tougher part. Nate, uh, did your addiction come with you to North Dakota?
4: Yes, yes, it did. I mean, I had hit reset. I was doing quite well, but North Dakota nice is everywhere. And uh, for, unfortunately for me, I found it through a community and just uh, walking into a bar and meeting a lot of uh, former uh, underclassmen. And uh, that is where a lot of my initial community came from. And um, yeah, so I immediately uh, gained a job uh, bartending and uh, doing some security. But uh, more than that, I was, uh, I was just drinking a lot. It was a party. I mean, my classmates were, I thought it was normal, right? We're all here, work hard, play hard, right? But uh, some people don't, they play so hard that you can't work. And that was me, my, my classmates got up and went to class. I was still drinking, like uh, they were graduating and moving on and I just seemed to be spinning wheels. And, it didn't take too long, uh, two semesters, and I was actually academically expelled.
0: Yeah, that's, that's tough, and it's, it, it, it can be a part of that culture of, of that age as we're growing and figuring things out. But about that academic expulsion, there was one thing that you were able to retain as a result of that ac- academic expulsion, and, and let's go into that.
4: Yeah, well that is exactly what uh, President Armacost was talking about, and that is just the support system. Uh, I did lose uh, most of my rights as a student, but the counseling center was available to me uh, because of how I was being asked to leave, and uh, that was a uh, courtesy. One that I didn't want to take then, uh, it took me a little bit uh, when, I, when I was academically expelled. I was flapping in the wind, trying to do it on my own, by my own strength, and all that happened is I grew deeper and deeper into my addiction, uh, into my alcoholism, uh, alone, trying to go at it alone. Uh, DUIs, man. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna say, thank God for DUIs. They've opened up so <laughs> many eyes. Uh, keep it up, Highway Patrol and those enforcements. But uh, man, <laughs> waking up, uh, hearing that door close behind me again after I had tried to be uh, someone in higher education and someone I was managing businesses. I had uh, again, North Dakota. I mean, there's resource, there's opportunity. I, um, but hearing that door close behind me that last time, man, it was just tough. I sobered up, I woke up. uh, Before I saw the judge, I had just thought about what I needed to do, and I remembered that. Uh, Actually, DUIs, thank God for DUIs. My first one, I got my assessment at the UND Counseling Center, and it was raw. It was real, Uh, it was true to me. I was honest, and uh, I had thought about what that lady, uh, Marlis, uh, had said. And uh, I need help. (laughs) Uh, I thought about that, man, and I had had a a very life-changing faith experience at this point. A lot of things had shed, a lot of my addictions had shed but I couldn't, I couldn't put that bottle down, and it was getting tough, so it was uh, in that jail cell that I made the decision when I get out of here, I'm gonna go to that counseling center, regardless of, of fear, shame, everybody's gonna know why I'm going there. There's more than the counseling center at McConnell Hall, by the way, but in my mind, then it's like they're all gonna be judging yeah. me, right? But I made that, uh, that courageous decision, and I walked through the doors.
0: I'm glad that you did, Nate, and I'm glad that
4: they were there for you.
0: Thank you to UND for, for keeping that asset available to students. So you, you get into counseling, you start to make changes, you start to make a shift in your life, and you have this realization, I need to go, I need to go back.
4: Yeah, yeah, so initially, man, I walked into the counseling center, and man, it is just it is amazing to see what is happening up there, and uh, Jim Murphy Lane opened up. That's a name that many of you know, and that is just, uh, I feel honored and privileged. To, to, to know that name and I, I actually walked in there as a uh, recently but walking in there uh, as a student it was it was good I had the services uh, to keep me grounded I had uh, my man Tom Solem I mean just uh, one-on-one man that guy has uh, been uh, just he's a, a dear friend and uh, was very raw and very real for me but yeah I walked in I met them actually and uh, This this wonderful man with a grandfather heart, Jim Murphy. Uh, I have his card because he gave it to me Uh, over 10 years ago, right? And uh, he introduced me to Tom, and he wrote an appointment on there. Uh, This was a Monday after because it was a weekend, so I had to see the judge on Monday. Uh, But I walked in there, and I made an appointment for August seventeenth, two 2012. That Tuesday I drank, but that Wednesday was the first day I met Tom. And it was the first day that I woke up sober forever, God willing, right? So, yeah it's uh, it's amazing uh the counseling center and everything they do man it's been a place of restoration for me uh definitely changed my major changed my thought process and uh, i had I had the support I needed to be a productive uh, student that's awesome nate let's fast forward we
0: got a couple minutes left let's fast forward to like after you change your major you're a student and you saw a need on campus uh, what sort of things uh, what have you been able to bring to UND uh, in capacity, right. in your capacity as, as a student?
4: So coming back as a student, I was sober, and it was different. It was new. I knew some people. I knew some people from my faith community, but I didn't have my tribe on campus, man. I hadn't met the people in my—I uh, I'd, I'd switched majors to social work, but I was still doing some uh, prereq stuff. So, But I knew I wasn't alone. I knew I couldn't be alone. I couldn't be the only one, right? Uh, so I was telling my man, Tom, about it, and he says, dude, there's this conference in Reno. It's like about— uh, collegiate recovery community and like peer support based, like students themselves Leading stuff and what I heard was my man, you want to send me somewhere so I could do your job, right?
0: <laughs> and can we just recognize the irony of a recovery conference in Reno? I've been to Reno <laughs> That's recovery's recovery is not the first thing that comes to mind, but
4: my man. Yeah I mean, I didn't know what to expect, but I was blown away Associated of recovery in higher education Thank you. They uh, I mean, I left inspired uh, campuses and colleges across the nation were just being open faces and voices of recovery be the voice. Don't be afraid. I left there with the courage to come back and tell my story outside of a basement closet. And that was big for me. I saw people like, uh, leaving lives, students like more than just in recovery, but leaders in recovery doing big things on their campus at part of like being recognized. And that was just amazing, man. I was, yeah, inspired. So, uh, I came back just, uh, yeah, that Tom was, uh, man, he thought I was going crazy, but I wanted to do it. And, uh, we didn't have time to lose. I mean, uh. Early that semester, we littered the uh, old Memorial Union with some flyers, are you or anyone you uh, associated with or close to been affected by mental health or recovery? That first meeting, I mean, the interest meeting, right? I was expecting a few. We had over 10 students and about 18 faculty and staff that showed up. I knew we were onto something. So yeah, uh, through that, it was a lot of peer support based. Uh, just, uh, you know, uh, wanted to know how do, we, how do we get recognized? And well, through a CRC, you have to be a couple years, but there's the University of North Dakota and their involvement office of student involvement. So I said, how do we become a, I want to become a recognized student org, and Like for what? For students in recovery. They're like, okay. Uh, it takes about three semesters, you know, gain some interest, get some officers, write some bylaws, constitution, uh, faculty advisor. But again, uh, man, those people in recovery, we're caffeinated. Uh, we got it yeah. done in one, <laughs>
0: we got it yeah. done in one man. Record timing. That's a, that's amazing. And Nate, after getting to know you, that doesn't surprise me with your energy. If you work with students, if you work around students, if you work in this community, I wanna encourage you not to pimp you out, Nate, but I wanna encourage you to grab him sometime during this conference. This guy has got a ton of resources and he has a heart for people in recovery. Uh, One thing that stuck with me during our our early conversation was everybody has a seat at the table and he believes that and you talk to him and you can feel that. Nate, before we jump off the stage, uh, I just want to end, what's a positive that recovery has brought to your life that you want people to know?
4: Man, too many, too many, but just uh, one big one is just uh, this, to be able to do this, to be able to give back, to have a, a seat at the table at an institution like you, indeed, but to have a seat at the table within my community and to know that I can be the difference maker, that I can be the change that someone made in my life. It is huge. It is astronomical. And to know that I can even, if I can be a little piece of that, collectively, together, I love, uh, I love bringing uh, interagency exchange, right? As a community, we're stronger and better together. But just doing that, connecting people, man, and loving people. Uh, just remember, be nice to one another because we're always feeling yeah. something. But,
0: Amen, know. brother. Hey, recovery reinvented. Let's give it up for Nate. Thank you, brother. Thank you, guys. Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do for a living, where you live, family, pets, and don't forget the ever-important what do you like to do for fun.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Chris. What a great day this has been. Let's hear it again for everybody who's presented so far. Um, I'm Dr. Eric Johnson. I'm a uh, professor at the School of Medicine and Health Sciences and a physician at Altru. Uh, Here, I'm just representing myself today, not my particular organizations. I'm married, I have four kids who are all more or less adults and I have two grandchildren. Uh, What do I like to do for fun? Spend time with my grandchildren. Uh, I love baseball uh, and I love music so a lot of my fun revolves around
0: that. Awesome, thank you Eric. Uh, We're going to get right into it. You mentioned that you are a doctor and that's uh, part of your story is that you were in active addiction as a practicing doctor and I, I appreciate you coming up here because uh, as we know, addiction does not discriminate. It doesn't matter how successful you are. Like, you, you can fall into that. So I wonder if you could share with us what that was like being in practice, dealing with addiction, and then kind of lead into uh, what resources were available for you in those early days. Sure. I started using
2: when I was about 11, so I had a really long history before I even got to medical school. And uh, after I'd been out of uh, school for about a year, I was doing my internship here in Grand Forks. And um, it was March 12th, 1990. I uh, got up, I uh, took a drink, like I usually did before I went to work. On this particular day, I was assigned to the labor and delivery ward. And um, I got up to the hospital and I just had a complete total emotional meltdown. Uh, I don't know where it came from. I don't know why it happened. Uh, I had an emergency psych evaluation, and I was uh, scheduled for an intake to go to treatment uh, several days later. Actually, on St. Patrick's Day of all days, 1990.
0: <laughs> uh, I was just, uh, we were just talking earlier, someone about the, the, we know a few people in recovery with St. Patrick's Day recovery days. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, in terms of resources as a doctor and and the stigma, like. Can you speak into that, like how that that felt?
2: Sure. I mean, 30 years ago, there were not a lot of resources for healthcare professionals. It was something that everybody tried to keep under cover. We all knew who the alcoholics and addicts were, but there was just no place to put them or anywhere to, you know, any any really services for them. Um, About that time, I got involved with, uh, I was assigned to two doctors who were in recovery, and they were just going to start a support group for physicians in recovery. So I got to be part of that right at the beginning 30 years ago, and uh, that meeting is actually still going today, Uh, and we have a lot more resources now. Uh, North Dakota and many other states have something called the Physician's Health Program, and you can enter that voluntarily and not have any uh, adverse consequences to your licensure unless you don't follow uh, the program they set for you.
0: That's amazing, Eric. I think there's... uh I think it's important that we focus on similarities, not the differences when it comes to recovery. But there's also something important about having relatability and people. I mean, there's unique circumstances in the medical field. So I think it's important to have people to be able to speak to. What advice would you give to people in your field who may be struggling with uh, substance use disorder, some sort of addiction? What would you say to those folks?
2: Yeah, if if you know somebody uh, in your profession, like medicine or nursing, who's in recovery, uh, I would definitely talk to them because they probably know where the resources are. But check with your own state. Uh, Many of these things are called something like Physician's Health Program or PHP, and uh, there's really no consequences for reaching out voluntarily and doing that. And these are outstanding resources, and that is definitely true in North Dakota.
0: Yeah. Thank you for, for your willingness to come up and, and share a part of your story. I think uh, giving others a voice, you know, there's gonna be folks out there who are gonna hear what you've shared and, and that's gonna give them hope, inspire them to be able to make that change for themselves as well.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, I don't think my, of myself as something special or different just because I'm a physician. Yeah. I mean, in many ways, I'm just a guy with an addiction disorder uh, who finally got help at age 29. And uh, you can tell by looking at me, I'm not 29 now. Uh, So that's been a little while ago.
0: None of us are 29. Well, somebody (laughs) might be, Uh, whatever that means. Uh, Eric, (laughs) last, uh, what's a positive in recovery? What's a positive that's happened as a result of recovery in your life that you'd like to share with the the audience today?
2: Yeah, I I mean, I had many negatives. I had two failed marriages. Uh, I have a child with a lot of medical problems. But where I'm at today, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm married, I'm, uh, I have a wonderful spouse, we have a wonderful relationship, I'm involved in the lives of my children, I'm involved in the lives of my grandchildren, um, I'm involved with my own family of origin, my parents and I have three sisters. And there was a time in my life where they didn't want to talk to me or see me, and uh, now they're always happy, happy to see me and see that I'm doing okay.
0: That connection with the family is amazing. Yeah. Uh, recovery invented, let's give it up for Eric. Thank you so much for coming out today. Thank you. Lights are on us, Beth. I'm over here counting fingers. Like how old will yeah. I be with forty if I make it to 40-something years? But yeah. we're not here. We're not here for my bad math. Everybody please welcome Beth. Beth, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do for a living, where you live, family, pets, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun?
5: Um, well, my name's Beth, I'm from, um, I live in Bismarck, but I'm originally from Newtown. I grew up on the Fort Berthold Reservation. I'm an enrolled member there, so I have two pets, I have two dogs, Brody and Blue. <laughs> what was the other question?
0: What do you like to do for fun?
5: I like to hang out with my family, mostly. I have a brand new nephew, so. He keeps me busy.
0: I love squishy babies. Uh, <laughs> Beth, uh, in our conversation leading up to the event today, uh, we found out that we share an alma mater, What Up Heartview? <laughs> Where were you at leading up to your time going into, into treatment? Just uh, give us like a brief description of what things were like in your life.
5: Um, very chaotic. <laughs> uh, I was a mess before I went into treatment. It wasn't my first treatment, so I was really discouraged by that point. I had been to previous treatments before that. Um, so by that point, I was really discouraged, pretty hopeless at that, you know, I was really lost.
0: What happened this time? Like, was, was there a shift? Was it a, a different modality or, or something internal that, that shifted that kind of set you up um, for, for where you are today?
5: Um, I think the real turning point was um, I had made an appointment to get into treatment, but um, I had been with a friend who had overdosed, and so that was really the turning point for me. Like, I knew that I had to make a decision for myself, and I needed to make the change. You know, I needed to just stop fighting it and do the right thing.
0: Yeah, those... Moments that kind of open our eyes can can really be challenging and hard to walk through, but but I'm grateful that uh, That you were able to to recognize that that it was time uh, You had mentioned that during treatment. They talked about uh, uh, Finding you a job like they, they said they had a they had a home for you um, Share with us like how that felt like in that moment hearing that and and how that has played out in the last few months
5: Um. well when she told me, I really didn't believe her. <laughs> uh, I didn't really think that um, that that was for me, or that you know, I still had a lot of negative beliefs at that point. So I didn't really think that I was uh, that somebody would believe in me that much. Yeah. But when she she just she always reminded me that I was worth it, and that um, she was saving a spot for me, and and she did. And so when she said, when you get six months sober, then I'm going to hire you, you know, and. It was a little bit before my six months and she called and said, are you ready to work pretty much? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's been it's been pretty good since then.
0: That's awesome, Beth. That like that really does, it warms my heart. And uh, like we said this morning, there's a seat for everybody at the table. It doesn't matter where we come from or what we've done. Mm-hmm. We all have value. And, right. and it's, I think it's just amazing to see you jumping right in and, and pouring into the recovery community. I'm incredibly grateful for people like you Um, How's it felt? What are some, maybe some experiences or just things that you've gone through? What has it felt like to be on this end, like helping out to your peers in recovery?
5: It feels really good. You know, there was a time where I didn't think that I was really able to do anything. I didn't have a purpose or really, I didn't know what path I was going to go down. And so now that I'm finally on this side of things, it feels really great. And sometimes it doesn't feel different at all, because the people that I work with, I'm on the same path as them still. Um, I'm still really brand new at this whole thing, and so I'm learning with them, and that's, that's the best part of it, you know? We're just all in this together, and it feels good.
0: I love, uh, I love that sentiment. Like, we're all just, we're walking each other home. What have you discovered about yourself in this last year in recovery?
5: I think that I'm a lot stronger than I think that I am, and yes. that I have a lot to offer. I, bring a, I can bring a lot to the table, and I'm worth it.
0: That's right, yes. <laughs> Amen to that, sister. I'm really, like, I'm, re- I'm really, really glad that you said that. And anybody who's listening um, in the audience, if, if you're struggling, if you're having some of that shame, you're worth it too. So, thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. Last, Beth, can you share a positive in recovery? Maybe something that you didn't expect. What's a positive in your life as a result of recovery that you wanna share with people today?
5: I think just opportunities like this. (laughs) I really didn't think that I would ever, I've watched Recovery Reinvented, but I never thought I could, you know, be up here. So, positive is just the open doors that are coming.
0: You never know, right? right? Just that willingness—that willingness to keep to keep going, one day at a time. We never we never know where it's going to land us. I never saw myself sitting up here either. Uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you for the work thank that you do. You. Thank you for believing in yourself. Thank you for challenging yourself and continuing to do what you do. I'm excited for you to be on this path. Uh, Recovery reinvented. Let's give it up for Beth. Everybody, Recovery Reinvented, let's give a round of applause for Hunter. Hunter, tell us a little bit about yourself. uh, Where you live, what you do for a living, family, pets, and of course, the ever important, what do you like to do for fun?
1: Yep. Um, Hunter Parisian. First start off, I'm in recovery. My sober date was September 20th, 2013. And I uh, have been in healthcare and public health for the past 16 years. I live in the St. Michael area, which is by Devil's Lake. I'm married and I have four children. The things I like to do for fun, um, whenever it's nice out for the six months we have of being nice, I like, to, <laughs> I like to golf anytime any free chance I get, and then also work on whittling down that ever-expanding honey-do list that I have.
0: Hunter and I I both shared a a hobby of ours is to finish one job so you can start two more. I feel you there. Hunter, let's talk about how how we got here today. Uh, Let's dig a little bit into um, just briefly what, what active addiction looked like for you.
1: What it was was pretty much going through the day, wondering when the other shoe was gonna drop, just working on a hair trigger in regards to, you know, oh my God, this is gonna happen. gonna have to go out and drink now you know and that's the way I kind of conducted myself in regards to handling stress and issues that were going on in my life and then it's just you know it's a never-ending thing it's always poor pitiful me Mm -hmm. why is the world always against me you know things like that and it's just a self almost a self-fulfilling prophecy where I keep sending myself into these places in my mind where the only way I can escape it is to turn to alcohol is what I did. And then I would go out and go out to the bars and meet people and be that happy, fun loving guy that I always was. And that's what, that's what I did for about 12 years.
0: Yeah. I think for a lot of us, you know, you mentioned that using it as a coping mechanism, if, if healthy coping, coping mechanisms haven't been modeled to us and we figure out that this drug or alcohol works, then what the heck, let's just dig in, right? What could go wrong? But things do go wrong. Uh, <laughs> yes. One of the things that we talked about was, was being high functioning. And that can sometimes pose a challenge if we're able to, to complete things in our day-to-day life. But we still have this like gut feeling that something isn't quite right, and there there needs to be a bit of a transition. Um, so what did that? How did that look for you, Hunter? That recognizing that all right, I'm accomplishing things, but there needs to be a shift.
1: Yeah, it. Um, I had a very influential supervisor that sat me down when I started early in my healthcare career and said, "I'm not going to ask you what you do outside the hours of operation." You know, you're young, you want to go out, but you will be here, 8 o'clock sharp, ready to work. So I took pride in the fact that I never missed work because of drinking, but at the same thing, it kind of gave that rationalization and kind of helped me lie to myself that I didn't have a problem because I didn't miss work. And we talk about how I've advanced in my career where I've had, you know, a slow climb through my career to get where I am today. But... You know I really didn't have those downfalls and it didn't it took until I became sober and realized the potential I unlocked to be the employee that I am today like just how much that alcohol was holding me back it took being sober to realize that and that's one of the things is you do a lot of rationalization of well you know what I haven't got a DUI I haven't lost a job because of drinking you know yeah. things like that and you know I got a fairly decent life in the eyes of people and people talked about the social media posts and you put that picture out there but in the end people people seen that part of me and they really didn't see the part of me that was on the drive home already thinking about you know how strong was I going to make that first drink
0: yeah I think uh, I think that that we set a low bar for ourselves and that's uh, that that's our unit of measure for success or have we reached a problem and for for whatever reason a problem is a bridge or a doorway and a brown paper bag, and if we're not there, then we're good, right? One of the things that can keep us also in that act of addiction too is, uh, is fear surrounding the, the, you know, the stigma of addiction. With a bit of time under your belt, how have you handled that, that stigma, and where do you sit with it today?
1: Well, I approached the first lady at the government-to-government government conference earlier this year because I really enjoyed the venue and uh, the message she was trying to get across about the stigma is that i i was looking for a way to be an advocate and help people i've always told people i'm not going to be that one waving a bible at you preaching to you but i will be here to answer questions if you do have questions of what it's like to be in recovery what steps can you take so when i seen her presentation on recovery reinvented i made sure i came up to her and told her i appreciated her presentation and i would love to be a part of it whenever and then they asked uh, her organization got back to me and I was able to do this but the stigma that's one of the things I'm very strong believer in is that we have to make sure that we drop that stigma in it because we have to have people on all from all walks of life know that it's okay to ask for help no matter how successful in the eyes that you are of people and then everybody needs help and it's they shouldn't be afraid to ask for it
0: Amen to that. And I just want to say, like you're an asset to your community. And for those of us, as people in recovery, we're, I'm, I'm grateful for people like you just having that willingness to share your story. I want to ask you the same question I've asked everybody else to close this out, Hunter. Uh, what is a positive that recovery has brought into your life that you'd like to share with the group today?
1: Probably I'll tell people about the very first anniversary, me and my wife, well, Give a shout out to my wife. Um, we both got sober on the same day. She knew that this was going to only succeed if we both jumped in with all, both feet. So, you know, kudos to her. But on our first sober anniversary, my wife said the best thing and the worst thing to me. She told me, this has been the very first year I have truly been happy with you. Now that made me happy, but on the same thing, it, it really brought me down low because I'm like, geez, what kind of pile of you-know-what have I been <laughs> as a husband in all these times? So her being able to have the courage to tell that to me sticks with me, and that's one of my main yeah. motivators to stay sober as we move forward.
0: Yeah, great perspective, Hunter. And it's, a, it's an opportunity, right, to keep walking in that freedom. Uh, recovery reinvented. Let's give it up for Hunter. Thank you for coming out.
4: Appreciate it, man.
0: We got her fan club front and center, and after knowing her for two days, I can I can understand. I get it. Uh Kathy, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, what you do for a living, family, pets, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun?
6: Again, my name is Kathy. Uh first and foremost, actually I was gonna say, my name is Kathy, and I'm an addict. That's what I do for fun, if you understood what just happened. (laughs) I am a mother to five kids. Uh, I work full-time at the F5 Project in Fargo. Um, I also go to school at MSUM. I am there to do social work and minor in juvenile justice. Yeah.
0: Right on, Kathy. She's a busy woman. In this, uh, in the process of getting ready for this, um, we, we visited a little bit on Zoom before and you shared with me a dream for yourself that you had when you were seven years old and I think this kind of sets the stage for, for where you are now nicely. Can you share that dream with the, with the group?
6: If you had asked me at seven years old, Um, what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I have proof of this. I found a piece of paper of this that I had wrote this at school in third grade. Um, But if you would have asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have told you I wanted to be a social worker. Um, I also would have told you that I wanted to do foster care. Uh, The reason for that is, is I grew up in foster care, that, that took over a big portion of my life. So even at seven years old, I understood the importance of social workers and most of my life had also been spent in foster homes. So I also understood what it was like to be in foster care and I wanted to be a good foster mom one day.
0: I think that's cool that you're kind of, you're, you're there now, but unfortunately, sometimes these cycles can perpetuate themselves and, and your life from then, from seven until today, wasn't without struggle. Tell us a little bit about that journey.
6: Well, um, I am a product child of addiction. So what that means is I was raised in foster care, as I said, I dealt with a lot of abandonment issues, a lot of abuse of every realm, you name it, and I, I suffered from it. One of the main things that really paved way and set my addiction up for success, if we look at it in that light, was crisis identity. When I was in foster care, I, uh, my foster mom, she she had no ill will, but um, one time she was driving down Broadway with me, and she made sure to point out all of the drunk Indians getting drunk and digging through garbages, and at that time, I was really ashamed to be Native American. I felt really gross with myself, and I didn't like it. Um, ICW had stepped in right when I was about to be adopted, and I went to the reservation. I'm an enrolled member of Mille Lacs Lake. I'm very proud of that now, but... Uh, once I got there, I was the little white girl, and nobody liked me. So I really just didn't like anything about myself, you know. A lot of that went to like my learned behaviors too. Unfortunately, I was labeled as a neglectful and abusive parent to my two children um, because I was—that's what my actions did because of the learned behaviors that I have had. And um, yeah, so CPS was a big part of my life because they had taken my children there for a while.
0: Kathy, you've been through a lot of stuff, and and. A lot of that trauma, both that happened to you as, as a child and as a, as a result of being an active addiction, played a, a, its role in your life. And you and I talked about uh, the importance of like working through that and, and healing through that trauma. And you shared uh, about how your culture has played a role in healing through that trauma. Um, let us know how that has worked out.
6: Yeah. So with that crisis identity, when I came into recovery, um, I went to an amazing place for treatment. I thought it was amazing. Um, actually, actually in East Grand Forks at Douglas places where I went to treatment, and they had. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Um, and at that time, they had an indigenous part that they like let us take over. Our let us do for ourselves, and um, I remember when I first learned how to introduce myself in my language, oh my gosh, that sent a shock of healing through my body that I didn't even understand. You know, the first time I had heard the drum in there, it (laughs) had been years since I had heard that, um, it woke my spirit up, you know, moving forward, just being, like, smudging every day. The first time I got to go into the lodge was amazing. You know, further on down the road, I was able to learn my name, uh, which is Ginu Gabawi Inque Wirokag, um, and that means golden eagle standing women who helps the people, and um, that's what I get to do nowadays. You know.
0: I think that's just amazing. Representation matters. Uh, advocating for people who are like us, who look like us. There's we again. You know, we talked about earlier. You know, focusing on the similarities, not the differences, but finding people like you who are, who are speaking up about your recovery and things that can happen in your recovery, like you're helping people today. And let's talk a little bit about that. Just briefly, how are you using your story to impact the people in your community today?
6: So uh, with all of this experience that I had with foster care, I was in foster care. My kids were in foster care. I now get to do foster care, and I got to adopt two of my nieces, which was amazing. Um, you know, every day I get to work with people doing reentry um, stuff from the prison systems, people who struggle with mental health and addiction, and that's my favorite. I also get to mentor at schools, um, so I just, I get to be everywhere.
0: I think that's cool, and there's so much of, of recovery work is looking back and doing that, like, inner child work and, and walking that kid through the healing and to see you living and working towards your dreams today of that seven-year-old, uh, Kathy. I think it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, let's close this out with the, the same way we've done all, all of these, Kathy. What is a positive that recovery has brought into your life that you wanna share with the group today?
6: Ah, uh, This is great. When I was little, I knew that my mom drank every day. You know, I knew that my family was abusive. I knew that foster homes were abusive. I knew what trauma was, that was my everyday norm. Nobody explained to me why that was happening. So today, I've learned how to break the cycle with my kids. If you guys ask my seven-year-old son what addiction is, he'll tell you exactly what it is. He'll tell you that he knows that he can't drink when he gets older because it gives him bad choices. You know, so I learned how to break the cycle uh, by recovering loudly.
0: I love it. Recover out loud, Kathy. And that's what everybody who's come up and shared today, I think is just as is, is amazing. And I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing and for being that voice for the people who don't have one. Uh, recovery reinvented. Let's give it up for Kathy one more time. Thank you. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you to Nate, Eric, Beth, Hunter, and Kathy. You guys are going to help a lot of people today. Also, thank you to the First Lady Catherine for all that you're doing in the recovery world. Thank you to Jonathan, Managing Director for Recovery Reinvented, for the invitation, and to Joey from the First Lady's office for all your help and support. There's something very cool about getting hundreds of people together who are all in the recovery sphere. I had the chance to visit with a lot of folks at the event, people in recovery, people who had been impacted by addiction, community leaders, advocates, and professionals in the field. We're doing great things in our state and i hope to see more events like this taking place across the country at the 2021 conference they talked about the results of a study addressing the stigma of addiction in north dakota while things have gotten better we still have work to do like dr perry said our stories and that personal relationship is what's going to change the way people think to learn more about recovery reinvented or to watch this year or previous year's events go to www.recoveryreinvented.com. Thanks again, Liz, for putting that in the show notes. Keep on sharing, Recovery Elevator. You're the only one that can do this, but you don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.